Riverside Chats is sponsored by listeners like you. Pitch in to keep this podcast going strong, bringing you the unique perspectives, personalities, and topics you love. Click the listener support link in the podcast notes for this episode to learn more. What started out as Benson First Friday is now officially known as BFF. Same great people, same great organization, new name. This change will help BFF reach new communities as they continue to grow. BFF is dedicated to supporting the region's emerging and established artists by creating opportunity, exposure, and experiences that help them move forward while enriching the cultural competency of the greater Omaha area. BFF to the arts, BFF to the community, BFF. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I am Tom Noblock. Today we have a long show, but an exciting show and an honest show. And the kind of guest that is sort of along the lines of someone we've talked to before in the sense that it's someone in the entertainment industry to some extent, but not really with the same experience as everyone we've talked to. Uh, Today, Matt Wedlock is on the show. He's a comedian. He does improv. He does yoga. He does roofing. He He does all kinds of things. He's done everything. He's been in the army. He's been in jail. He's been everywhere. And he's here to tell a story that is not the same as what everyone else has had. He's not just a kid who's had a boring life and kind of grown up and figured out how to be funny. He has had to figure out a lot of things that not everyone else ever does. And to get the wisdom from somebody like that who just has a very unique life experience is absolutely something that's exciting to have on the show. It's the kind of thing that this show is made to be able to give you a sense of like, you can network by proxy. You can meet these people by proxy because I get to actually talk to them. You may never encounter someone like him or you may not know you want to until you listen to a conversation where he opens up and is honest and is in-depth about it. So I'm really excited about this. Matt Wedlock, you can follow him uh, on social media to find his upcoming dates. He has some very exciting shows. One, uh, the night that this airs. So if you're listening to this Friday morning as this comes out, check for that. He's got a show coming up tonight that he'd love for you to see. You can get a chance to... He's kind of... I mean, he's he's a comedian. So comedians, the thing about... The thing that I like to have them on the show for, other than the fact that (laughs) I'm interested in what they do, is... You know, they they are funny people. They understand that uh, every so often, even if they're being completely honest, and even if they are kind of rambling, they kind of know they should throw a joke in at some point. And so the, he's somebody, so he, he is funny on this, but I think a lot of it is him talking about things that he's passionate about, things that he cares about. And so... You get some of that, but I I didn't make him you know act like a like a, a doll of some sort. Where I'm like, do your impressions, do this, do that. I should have asked him to do Jay Leno. I got Cameron Logston to do Jay Leno when I talked to him in January, and uh, you know I, I wonder if maybe I should just get everybody on the show to do a Jay Leno impression, and then uh, you know we can just have a, a nice compilation of Jay Leno impressions. Yeah, he even likes Jay Leno. You know, how did I miss that one? Where that I, oh. That's going to be a regret now. I might have to call him back. We'll do a part two where he, he I just, uh, I get the, maybe I can get Cameron and I can get Matt and they can just do like a Jay Leno off. Maybe that's where, maybe that, <laughs> maybe once uh, everyone gets tired of the honest conversations, that's what it becomes. We just do a, a really broad, goofy thing like that. But no, Matt's somebody, he, beyond just being silly, he also has a social message that he's interested in getting out there. And I'm always interested in the people who, they know they've figured out how to do something in the entertainment world that is entertaining and is working and is resonating. But there, I, I feel it too. And I've talked about it on a couple of the previous shows, but it's like, even with uh, doing a show like this, doing movies, you want to know that you're actually making some kind of societal difference with it. That it's not just as simple as 
I made something funny. You know, like getting a laugh is great. There's inherent value in that, but it, it isn't always satisfying without there being something a little bit more. But at the same time, to figure out what that balance is between I made people laugh and I also it also mattered somehow in a bigger way, in a broader sense, that's a really hard balance to find. And I'm not sure I have found it yet. And so talking to someone like Matt, who's in his own process of figuring that out, is a great experience and something I'm really happy to be able to share with you guys. So that is our show today. As always, uh, if you support what we're doing, if you like the mission of Riverside Chats, please look over at our Patreon. Um, if you listen to this every week, then maybe it's worth a dollar a month. I don't know, 25 cents an episode. That's like, uh, it's like a handful of Mike and Ikes at uh, one, of those, one of those little dispenser things where you... you I don't even know what you call them. It's got the little metal knob that you twist. I think you can get, you can either get like Mike and Ike's uh, Skittles. I remember like as a kid, I'd go, like my dad would go get his oil changed at Jiffy Lube. And uh, I was really excited to go spend 25 cents to get this handful of Mike and Ike's or whatever. Also, I think they have them at the zoo for like duck food. Uh, Yeah. So like, are we worth uh, the same amount of duck food? The same amount you'd spend on duck food? Do you think it's the same? Do you think that's gotten more expensive over the years? I don't know how much duck food is going for at the zoo these days. I feel like it might be more. It might be 50 cents. We're not, we're not, we're asking for less than you might spend on hypothetical duck food. If you think it's worth it. Up to you. I don't know. I'm not, don't let me pressure you. Don't feel bad. No, it's fine. Yeah, no, uh, to go buy your duck food. That's fine. If you do feel generous enough to chip in a little bit, uh, we have various tiers. So go over to patreon.com slash Creative. Check that out. There's also some exclusive audio uh, from some shows there. So worth checking out. I I, I hear they're good. I hear, uh, hear this Exarbon Creative thing's good. You might want to check it out. So thank you for that. Also, we appreciate those of you who have been leaving us reviews on our iTunes. That does make a difference. It helps people find the show. Please continue to do that. Please subscribe wherever you get podcasts. We are on pretty much all of them. We've got, what, Stitcher? Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. I don't know. I think there's more. I don't know what they are though, because I'm I'm old and I don't I don't learn new technology. Once I find an app that works, that's probably going to be the only app I will ever use uh, for that specific function until I die. Uh, I've become old this year. I I like to watch the birds and the bunnies in the backyard, and I've I've stopped exploring uh, and comparing apps. So that I think that's what old in 2019 is. Anyway. Please stay tuned for my conversation with Matt Wedlock. It's one that I'm really proud of. I'm really excited about uh, and enjoy the show. And if you want to go see his show, he's got one tonight. He's got other ones upcoming. It's worth your time. It's worth the listen. Please enjoy. Here for the job interview. This feels like I'm getting <laughs> yeah. interviewed. Well, it's think of it more like a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really an interview. So, I mean, like, so I first heard about you from Danny Machado. Yeah. Uh, he said, because Danny had done the show a month ago or something, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know. It's funny because Danny had no idea what the show was. Like a lot of people don't really know what it is anyway. But Danny comes in and, uh, you know, he's like, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting. So like, it's not just like a normal interview where I have to sort of give my canned response really quickly. It's just sort of like a loose format. But then he said uh, immediately, he's like, you know, who you should have on is Matt Wedlock. Uh, This guy's got a crazy life story, does all kinds of cool things. Yeah, that's swell of him. (laughs) Yeah. How'd you meet Danny? So I met Danny through, there was a a posting on Oman Comedy Facebook page. Uh, it's a Facebook a group on there, and they were looking for actors for a movie. And I was like, well, 
whatever. I'll do it. I've never acted in anything except for, you know, when I'm trying to lie to my girlfriend. So, <laughs> well, that's a good, good practice, maybe. That's I practice my acting. So I decided I'll do it. And so I auditioned and I told them uh, I was a stand up comedian. So Danny's like, do a set. So I did a quick couple minutes of jokes that I knew. They put me in for a 10 second scene, you know, nothing huge. What was the movie? It's Chit. Oh, oh, it's Danny's movie. Yeah, okay. Danny's yeah, movie. Right. So he put me in there in the party scene. So filmed that scene. Didn't realize how much acting, like doing it actually kind of sucks. Right? Well, it's it, yeah, this, it's this eight hours to film a 20-second scene. Like that's right. the part. It's a lot of work right. to do a very small amount. And you mm-hmm. can see why. You see it on, on screen and you're like, oh, what a glamorous. They go film for two <laughs> hours and then they get 20 mil. Right. And it's like, yeah. no, it takes forever. Yeah, I have this stuff. So I've made various, like, uh, you know, low-budget movies, no-budget movies. And uh, when I was in college, I did my first one where me and uh, Ben Matukowicz, who I run stuff with still, we were like, why would you ever need, like, a month to shoot a movie? That doesn't make any sense. Like, these guys are Like, we know more than they do. It's fine. So we uh, we had this script. It was, like, 110 pages. And we're like, let's just have a location for four days. So it took place in a cabin. So we're like, we'll just get everyone out there, kind of like lock them away in a cabin. Like, we'll be able to shoot that in four days, no problem. And yeah, yeah that was a huge mess. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the movie was bad. <laughs> it's like, well, at least we locked ourselves there so we couldn't give up mid-film. Yeah, we're finishing um, this thing. Well, then we had all these uh, people who'd never acted before. And so it's like, no one knows their lines. No one knows how to act. We don't know how to make a movie. So it's just this big mess. I remember that, like somehow we had no time at all to do anything, but then we we're really worried about one of our lead performers. And we were like, can we just like write that character out? Even though we're all here together. <laughs> it get, dude, it's crazy how much they had to keep. They had to powder me in between. Like he's oil again. He somehow he has oil all over his face. Go powder him up. <laughs> were you just, were you sweating? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was sweating. It was kind of hot. And the, well, the scene called for, uh, it was a party scene. And I guess I wanted the beard. Like I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. Like this is method acting. It's a party, so I'm partying. But the, I wanted to keep cracking the beer, so I'd take a swig of it. Yeah. And, you know, by, like, the 30th shoot, I'd drink 30 swigs of beer <laughs> at 10 in the morning. So I've done stuff like that, it too. It was making felt, me yeah. sweaty. I was getting sweaty. <laughs> well, so, how, I mean, so you you didn't know Danny before that, though? Didn't know Danny before that. Um, i just seen it on there. I met him. He's awesome for, to be able to run all of that kind of stuff. I mean, there was for it's a short film, but there's... 30 plus 40 people there when you have the cast and the crew and everything so it was a huge production and I you know to be so young he's really young and to direct all of that I mean he obviously had really a lot of help from everybody Margot and Todd Graves and them they're awesome right but yeah I met him there and uh he's just he's pr- really knowledgeable for you know what his age at doing that I mean he, he, he thinks <laughs> big yeah. he does he thinks big and he does it and he gets it done so right that's how I met him, and then I listened to the first time I heard this podcast was him. He sent it to me, so I listened to it. And I was like, "Well, this is awesome." Yeah, oh. through Exarbin Creative, located not in Exarbin, <laughs> located well, in Benson. <laughs> we, yeah, well, I, we came up with the name before we got the location. Yeah, uh, you know, it was just it was run out of like basements, <laughs> variously close That's to Exarbin or not. Yeah, that's how the backline was downtown. You know, they were doing it was a basement thing before. Oh, was Dylan really? Rody okay. who owns it? He bought and he got that theater mm-hmm. and. It start, it's got to start somewhere. Everything's got to start somewhere. Right? right, yeah. Well, when did you start doing stand-up? So st- stand-up is pretty recent for me, and it's something I, I switched to it. I like it better. I think I'm better at Improv started in the end of 2017. So okay. I started doing improv. I've taken one improv class one time, and it was with uh, Big Canvas. It's like an all-ages improv. 
I did one class from there, and then I started going just to open improv sessions at the back line. And Dylan, he let me, he started letting me, putting me on shows without having any formal improv training. So you must have been pretty good then. Yeah, I think I was naturally pretty good. And he's like, hey, come do these shows. Uh, So that's how I started off doing improv. And then I started hitting a couple of open mics, not a lot of stand-up open mics. But I did enough that I was able to get the Ohio Entertainment Award nomination. I was funny enough to a couple people. And it was more improv and stand-up. This year is when I've really started doing stand-up almost full-time. It was weird doing an improv show last week. Like It's almost like you forget because now it's there's a story to tell with everybody else right. without yeah. me just. So then I was like, okay, I'm just not going to say anything because I don't want to be... You know, jumping in front of it, like I forget how to do, yeah. you know, the improv. But well, like, were you were you somebody who had done much performing before that? No, dude. You know, I tried out for. I, so I went to Creighton Prep for high school. I tried out for the school play. I got canned. Nothing. Like no way. <laughs> Which, never, what, what play was it? I don't even remember the name of the play. But they were like, yeah, you can't do anything. Well, so, so are you from Omaha originally? I I moved here when I was fourteen. My stepfather was in the Air Force. Okay. So uh, moved here from Dayton, Ohio, when I was fourteen years old. Went to Creighton Prep. I always wanted to performing, but here's the thing: I had, you know, not to knock on my stepdad, but he was just, and he's an Air Force Colonel, and he's very like, yeah, you gonna play football? Right. He doesn't have an accent. I don't know. I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna play football? You gonna be a man, boy? <laughs> That's the performer coming out already. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so okay, so you, I mean, were you resisting the football urge or the yeah, the macho I, urge to some extent? It did because I wanted to, you know. To be to be somebody who does stand up comedy and stuff, I think I have an expression, you know. And he was just—he's very, um, I don't—I want to say astute, but that's not the word. He's just very serious guy, you know. Things that are stern, he's stern is exactly what I'm looking for. You know, you'll play baseball, go get straight A's in math, and was this why do you want to act? Was that rebellion on your part, or where did that come from? Kind of, I think it was rebellion and part, but part, yeah, it was. I was in trouble all the time. <laughs> just always in trouble it was rebellion. And you have to. If you're living with so my my real father, my mom and my father, biological father divorced when they were four. He's the exact opposite of my stepdad. He's very like gregarious. He's hilarious. He's out there, you know. So my stepdad, he still doesn't, you know, my jokes. He's just like, yeah, I mean, he's doing that, but is he still he, wants to tell me jokes now. Is it the kind of thing where like you tell a joke and he's like, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, not even. He won't even say that. Oh. Just like, hmm. <laughs> That's almost better, actually. I hate when someone clearly did not think it was a joke. It's like they're just acknowledging, I understand you told me a joke. Yeah. Yes, that's funny. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. No, it's right. not. You would have laughed. Right. People <laughs> that's the most weird. insulting one. I went to a, I was at a a big canvas, the Hunger Games improv show, and part of it was audience voting. And there was a lady sitting next to me. The two teams that were up, the first team kills it. So, And she's laughing, like really laughing. The second team was good. Um, they were very theatrical, but she was barely laughing. She votes for the second team, and I was like, well, "Why didn't you vote for them? You didn't even laugh." She was like, "Well, they just did such a nice job." I was like, "Well, that's not you know, the point here." Right. <laughs> All right, it's annoying. Yeah, yeah, they did so good. <laughs> okay, but did you laugh? It's weird how people vote like that. Right. Well, know? so like when you were a kid, though, were you were you when did you first become aware of that sort of itch to perform? It was it was an itch to do kind of comedy because well I was moving he's in the air force I was moving around all the time right so you got to make new friends every two years right is which that is crazy you're trying to impress everybody and or at least become known to some extent so you can make yeah, connections exactly what it is okay because I think you know you start to right off the bat you, you get made fun of just a little bit mm-hmm. and it it's the worst place to come from but then I I kind of realized at some age like hey if I join in the making fun of you know and it started off as hey you, well I'll make fun of somebody and then they're not going to be 
after me. They're not going to be bullying me. So you kind of make fun of somebody, and then you realize, oh, if I make fun of myself before everybody else makes fun of me, they can't make fun of me. Right. Yeah. You know, and it probably, I don't know, maybe fifth grade I started it, and I be, it became something that I learned how to do was to make fun of myself because, you know, I'm a weird person. I do things, and people are like, it put people in my way you'd be like, oh my god, they want to make fun of me for it or something. And my friend's like, yeah, right. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> you know, you learn how to have that. I'm going to make fun of me before anyone else does. Right. And so, like, where did the sense of humor come from, though? Like, who who were you watching at the time? That was sort of you were soaking in to figure out how to do so that. So, humor first. The when I got my stepdad wouldn't let me have a TV. We couldn't watch TV after like eight o'clock. Okay. And I definitely couldn't have a TV in my room until I bought. I was hustling Pokemon cards, and I was <laughs> able to buy a <laughs> shitty TV for. 30 bucks, and I had three channels, you know, and so I would watch at nighttime. I'd stay up, and I'd catch Saturday Night Live, and I'm 30, 31 now, so this was in the late 90s. I'd watch Saturday Night Live, and I'd watch Jay Leno, and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen, and I was like, I want to do that someday. So this Leno, okay, you're not a, are you a Letterman guy, or are you uh, not a Letterman? Well, I, Letterman didn't come in. He was scrambly. Oh, I do oh. like Letterman, but I had to watch Leno, because Letterman like was scrambly. A lot of people come down, and they're either a Leno guy or a Letterman guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I talked to Cameron Logston about this, and he was, was a Leno awesome. guy too. So yeah, I'm a, I've been a Jay Leno guy, and it's because what I watched, I didn't. Jay Leno's humor is more for I think younger people. Yeah, uh, that makes his sense. jokes are more to the point. Yeah, you know, not very thinky jokes. And when you're ten years old, you're like, <laughs> who were you, who were you watching on SNL that you were responding so, to? Uh, I loved Chris Kattan. Okay, he was great. <laughs> what happened to him? Is he still around? He just did an interview like a week. I don't know what he's doing. He was like suing. He wrote a book. He just released a book, and he was getting on SNL. Apparently, he broke something there, and they only paid for two of his five surgeries, something major. And oh, so, like he broke a bone? Like he, yeah, and he's kind of trying to say that they like offed him because something happened. He like fell and shattered something. I have not heard anything about yeah, this. Yeah, it just crazy. came out in the book. Wow. And this just released like last week. And so then he, he's kind of saying that they just kind of brushed him off because he wanted them to pay for the rest of his medical surgeries, and they didn't want to. Wow. You know, Mango wasn't doing it anymore or whatever. They wanted him off the show. They didn't want to pay for it. So they just kind of. That's a crazy story. It's really shit. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's, I guess that's how show business can be. I've never been at the top, but. You don't hear that specific story from SNL that much, though. Like, of all the no. drama on there. Mm-hmm. Chris Kattan. Okay, who else Who else were the people that. Uh, Chris Kattan. There was Chris Kattan, Will Ferrell. Um, yeah. Colin Quinn. I loved Colin Quinn. He was the first, like insult comic that i saw and i was like this guy's really good yeah <laughs> he says he's funny uh the weekend update was always a segment that who was, was was he on weekend Update? he, at he that was point? on week i think he might have been on at that point it okay. was him and then it went to Ch- fallon and tina fey do you like fallon yeah he's all right i always thought he was annoying watching he's, snl as yeah, a kid he's okay he does good impressions he can do good like his little sketches up but his show no, he doesn't even. Like, he's bland. I don't know. He's very bland, and he knows that he knows he's bland. It's working out well for him, so I don't you know blame him for uh, leaning into that. Yeah, he's not trying to make comedians laugh. He's trying to make you know the most general of general audiences laugh. I just you know his inability to not crack up during a skit. I remember always annoyed me when I was a every kid. time. Yeah. He can't do it without laughing. Yeah, I mean it'd be hard to with those guys around, but I'm still, sure. He's, but that's your job. You're gonna pay it a lot of money too. Yeah, and I, it, I, apparently Lauren Michaels does not like it when you like. That's a huge. Sometimes they're funnier when you break during a skit, but that's like a fireable offense. Really? Skit. Yeah. I mean, there's an crap. art to doing it in a funny way, but with him, it was just like, all right, he's in it. He's not going to be able to keep character. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> like I get, you know, it's like in the with the Matt Foley one, David Spade cracking up is funny because it's just Chris Farley's so crazy. Yeah, you know, hilarious. I don't blame anybody for laughing on set, and it kind of yeah. adds to the charm of the whole thing. 
but uh, yeah, not so much. Like in the cowbell thing, it's like I don't need to see Jimmy Fallon laughing in the corner. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help. We know this is going to happen every time. <laughs> yeah, it's so, a huge offense. That and so I went last year, no, two years ago, 2017. My brother, his roommate from college, got an internship at SNL. His name was Mike DeProspo. So he worked. They gave him a job afterwards. Oh, cool. What did so he do? He was the Mac administrator. He's moved his way up to like a film editor. I remember when nice. he brought me to SNL for my birthday in 2017. Uh, he was he was on not in eight H. He was up on four seventeen, like beeping, You're supposed to like beep out if anything happens. So a three second delay. Oh, he was the curse guy. And Kristen okay. Stewart dropped the f bomb on that episode. <laughs> so he got to bleep Kristen Stewart. <laughs> yeah, he got to bleep it out. He's moved up a little bit now. He's on like IMDb credits him as uh, some kind of product, you know, some kind of production something. That's cool. Yeah. Was that so? Like, was that the dream when you were a kid? Then you're like, I want to be on SNL. I want to be yeah. that. For sure, that was the dream to it's, be on SNL. Was that something you carried into even when you get to high school? Is it like, so I need to figure out how to become a performer type person? Yeah. Professionally? You, somehow? Right. Yep. And you t- and I was almost kind of here. The thing that stopped me from doing it earlier was I would, um, you know, the wanting to be accepted by kids and stuff. You tell somebody and you tell a kid in high school, like, hey, I'm going to be on SNL. They're like, they'll laugh in your face. Right. They'll laugh you all the way home. Like, yeah, right. Well, especially in, in Omaha, Nebraska, nobody yeah. goes on to be an SNL really as far as, especially like at prep. I don't think there's a whole lot of alums that have gone on to the entertainment world. No. Unless you're like Alexander Payne or something. Yeah, Alexander Payne and then you have Conor Oberst. You know, that's the, oh, did he go to prep too? Yeah, he went to prep too. But yeah, that's about it. So you, you kind of get laughed off, and it took me a long time to overcome, you know, caring. It really takes the point of you get, not caring what other people think. I want to do what I want to do, my dreams. I've always been funny to people, but, you know, I'm going to do it and go for it. And then once you get that in your head, you get it out the window like, you know, I could suck, but hey, whatever. Right. Screw those guys. Did you still have that anxiety when you were in high school? Yeah, I had about? anxiety when I was in high school. I had, and I don't know if Danny told you. I so I, when I was in high school. I went to UNL. I started college at UNL. I ended up joining the Marine Corps, um, and I'd always had bad anxiety. You know, exercise and stuff would always help. But I ended up when I was in the Marine Corps, I ended up getting addicted to painkillers. So I, I got into, I got hooked on painkillers, and uh, it became pretty bad. When I got out of the Marines, I was in the reserves. I got. Which is I got picked up by the DEA for so I, I literally I I gave a guy four oxycontins right so I had these painkillers I was running out I was addicted to them and he had worn a wire on me so the DEA came and got me wow yeah charged me with two thousand five hundred oxycontins the way they did they were just like well you sold them him for over the course of the last four years I mean obviously we argued it in court and they gave me a plea deal but I ended up spending four years in federal prison which. Oh. Wow. Yeah. It sobered me up, but it also gave me, it was a huge, it's it's four years of life that's gone in your mid-20s, but it uh, it gave me a lot of tools that I have now. Like so, what? Like, well, I discover, I started doing yoga when I was in there. It sobered me up completely from, you know, I, I didn't, because I used to drink in the military, it's a, it's a heavy drinking culture, and uh, you kind of have to really learn how to, you know, stand, stand, not be, wor- you can't show weakness in there. It sucks that. And I wasn't in a, a low-end prison. I got, like, a week and a half after I get arrested. Okay, I've never been in jail before in my life. I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to die in here. They put me in the lowest, below low, the min, the work release area. Okay. Some guy got it in my head that if I told him I was peeing blood, they'd bring me to the hospital. So right away, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm peeing blood. 
Was was probably just my, to, to get out of the yeah, prison? Yeah, to get general. out, okay. and I didn't come back. So they brought me to the hospital, and I didn't come back. So that charged me with a, an escape from a correctional institution, which is a felony. As in, like, you left? or you? So they brought me. They let me go to the hospital because I told yeah. them I was peeing blood. I was, like, so anxious. I didn't know. What, I was like, all right, this is, I'm going on the run. for This is my life. I'm going on the run forever. <laughs> I was so scared. <laughs> This so, is I mean, it. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're thinking like I might not have a future. I'm gonna die, right? Yeah, so you're just literally like, anything's better. Yeah. So I'm gonna go on the run. I'm like, I got this. You know, I'll get <laughs> fake IDs from the fake ID guys, and you know, I'll go underground. Wow. So it, that didn't work. Yeah. Uh, what happened? <laughs> Eleven days later, they found me. Where'd you go? It was my the... buddy's house. You know, so oh, okay. they were going around looking. I mean, they don't. That, that's kind of like you know, snubbing them. Like they're making them look bad. It wasn't like I broke, like, you know, I didn't prison break and get out. They let me out the doors and I just didn't come back. But when they when they picked me up and brought me back, it was uh, now I'm a maximum level custody. So because I'm an escape B. So when I go to prison, they send me to the penitentiary in Leavenworth where literally everybody's in there for murder or for like, wow, you know, being in the cartel. So these were tough guys that I was around. And then so you really ended up just uh, like accidentally getting into your worst nightmare. There. Right. OK. And so I had to get past it. And uh, once you've gone, to, you know, once I'm with these guys that are there was a stabbing almost every other day. Once you get to that, being the anxiety about being in stage or performing on other people is gone. Like that's not right. even close to the same thing. You you actually have had a life and death sort of. <laughs> yeah. Well, to some extent, that's like the most dramatic version of moving as a kid, right? And you're like, I got to impress everybody. I got to give the right impression mm-hmm. uh, to get by. Only for you, it is literally uh, the highest possible stakes. Yeah, it did. It became the highest possible stakes, and uh, you never know how you're going to do because I'm not. I, I hate to stereotype, but people in prison, a lot of these people are, they, it's not, nobody wants to be in prison, but they expect that a part of the life that they're living, you know, they're gang members. They know that, Hey, I'm going to go to prison, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my time. And they're in there and there's no even thought of, Hey, I'm going to get out and try to change my life. They're like, Hey, I'm going to get out. I met some new connections while I'm in here. It's a breeding ground for people meeting other people. So it's really hard to go your own path in there when everybody wants to, they want to suck you into that culture of, you know, and you start telling people, hey, you know, I'm going to this is what I'm going to do myself good when I get out. It's kind of they kind of want to almost get you for that. Was it embarrassing for the crime you'd actually committed uh, when you're up against a bunch of like murderers and things? Yeah. And but the thing is, and you don't want to go in there and like tell people that, too. Cause, cause Surely they, they ask, though, don't they? Of course, sure they comes ask. Up. Yeah. And they, they look at. But it so it did charge me. They ended up charging me with that twenty five hundred Oxycontin. So, yeah, most were like, what do you mean you're in here for Oxycontin? Like. Perkis Huts, I'm like, yeah, they're like, would you have like a million of them? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I didn't. I mean, they, they kind of understand, like, well, you get screwed over. And a lot of people do get screwed over in there. That's the thing. I mean, there's a lot of people legitimately that should be in there, and there's a lot of people that get, you know, you think that you're in federal prison, everybody in there should be uh, Pablo Escobar's, and there's not. There's a lot of guys well, in there. Well, if you made it in there, it must not be. There's a yeah. lot of guys who are just, looks like they're fall guys. Oh. You know? Somebody, five people want to get out of trouble, and they said, well, and Mike did it. <laughs> and then they're like, all right, Mike, you're going to prison. Mike doesn't know what's going on. So how did you make the right impression to not get killed in there if, uh, if that was what you were worried about? <laughs> <laughs> um, so they had the four. I don't remember what the four rule. They had a, some guy told me the rules. Like, you don't do this. One thing you don't want to do is you don't want to do drugs in there. Run up a drug debt. Do drugs or run up a drug debt because you're seen as being a, a junkie. And they don't like that as much as they want to sell drugs. You don't want, especially like when you have the, the gangs that are in there. They're not supposed to be doing drugs. You're supposed to be trying to keep yourself in good physical shape, you know, because in case there's a, a race war that breaks out on the prison yard. Wow. Okay. So 
you don't do drugs, you don't gamble and gamble your money away and run up debt. So I just kind of stayed on my own. I read books. My parents were, and they sent me books. My brother, I'd write him a letter every week and I'd write funny things that I saw going. So I have all this stack of stuff that I want to go through and then turn into jokes or something. But so you're still trying to generate material for I have, Yeah, I have it all written down, but I haven't really gone back through it. And because I write something funny down, that's when I started learning, hey, I had all the time in the world to write. So I'm going to write down everything funny I see. And that got me into the habit of writing things down that are funny. And I mailed off a letter and he saved every single one of them for me. Uh, But I did. I kind of stayed on my own. I didn't do anything that's going to get me in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, did you try to be funny to the other? Yeah, I know it's funny. Like they I got that. That's what helped a lot. You know, they knew I was funny. So at the end, the last uh all federal prisons have if you're in there for a drug crime it's called RDAP the residential drug and alcohol program so they put me in that moved me to a separate wing in the prison it was a nine month drug treatment program and it was a little it's not very prison it was like half prison half school I mean you had your cell block and they'd set up in the morning they'd set up like these blue chairs you'd all sit in and they had actual drug counselors in that section so we were kind of closed off from the rest of the prison so we'd have a little drug meeting and you'd get to go up to the podium in front of like 100 people. So I started practicing stand-up when I was up there, and they were laughing, and so it worked is it, it worked well. Is there a different type of joke that lands there, or is it just the same sort of sense of humor you use with anybody? It is. Um, I mean, it's a joke that is kind of like a... It's almost like there's inside jokes there. I mean, you're doing jokes about the guards or other people. Everybody laughs at... If something's really good and really funny, everybody laughs, but there's a whole other pool of, like, I could tell a joke about something there that nobody out here would get because there's so many slang terms and different ways things go. But, yeah, funny's funny. You know, people laugh at it. And I guess there's probably not a ton of competition of, like, in that specific prison anyway. No. People who want to be stand-ups. No. Working on material. Not at all. I mean, there's a lot of funny guys. You're in jail. You got nothing else to do. You have to talk to each other. But there's a difference between just, like, a normal funny person and someone who wants to do stand-up, though. No, I don't think there was nobody else in there that said they wanted to do it <laughs> at, at all. Well, so how long were you in there? So I did four years in there from the end of 2012 until February 3rd of 2016. Wow. The world had changed a lot in those the four years, too. The world had changed a lot. And then I got out, and that's when I just kind of went balls to the wall on, hey, you know what? I'm going to start. I lo- I started. I went out and became a yoga teacher when I got out. I was doing it in there. There was a, a guy who he knew karate and kung fu and yoga. And I was like, yeah, right, whatever. Because everybody, everybody in there is, you know, they all want to talk, too, about how they're the greatest at everything. You know, back on the streets, I was the King Don Juan. I'm like, well, why don't you have $5 then, buddy? <laughs> so, uh, But he did. He knew yoga. He taught me a lot about yoga when I was in there. And then I got I got my yoga teacher license and then I or my certificate. And then I went to – I just went to Big Canvas. I started looking up improv stuff, saw Big Canvas, went there, loved it right away, you know. Well, but was improv something new then? Yeah, I mean, brand new. I'd never done it before. What made you choose improv over stand-up at that point? So improv because it's classes, right? And I had no idea how to navigate the world of comedy, where okay. to start from. And I was like, okay, I'll do the improv. I'll learn what I'm supposed to do. So I started taking the improv classes. And I learned some things from improv, but it also started frustrating me really quickly when I was really quickly like, all right, I don't want this joke to go that way. And why are you taking it that way? Because you have you to know, collaborate now, it sense. You, you have to you collaborate have control. in it. Yeah, and I really quickly wanted to start doing my own my own thing because I didn't want to go like, well, it sounds so egotistical. <laughs> like, I know I'm funnier. Than, like It would have been funnier if you did it like this. And yeah, I didn't want to do that anymore with people because then there's some people who, there's people who are funny who take the classes, right? But there's some people who have no chance in hell of right. ever being yeah. funny. But 
they want to. Patton Oswalt has a good thing, and I saw it last week, and he thinks that everybody thinks that they have a right to be funny. People think that because it's easy. Nobody walks around thinking I should be the best musician ever because not everybody can pick up a, a guitar right away and just start playing it. But for jokes, everybody can tell a joke once once in a while. You know, a clock's right two times a day, that kind of thing. Sure. They tell one good joke. Everybody thinks that, you know, they've got, they're going to be the funniest. They have a right to be funny. And it kind of, su- it. you know, I don't want to knock anybody for doing it, but it's, it's fucking hard. <laughs> Sorry. Am I allowed to cuss on yeah, here? Yeah, 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 okay. I don't know. I've been... My, my, well, censoring myself. No, no, you, you go think a little all out. It's fine. Uh, well, uh, do you think? I mean, is there a, a stigma against improv to some extent? Because I, I feel like it's among stand-ups, improv yeah. is looked down upon unless you're at one of the higher levels of it. Yeah, they do. They for sure do. Which I don't. I mean, it's a whole different. It's a whole different ball game than stand-up. Uh, and improv shows are really funny, and but I just it's not my thing to do. I like it for the character work you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, you get time to develop a character instantly i have zero anxiety but doing an improv show you're with other people if it were to be not funny people aren't going to judge you but stand up like you had time to work on that and then you sucked like get out of here well in stand up you have to get those laughs every so often where i feel like with improv at least with the scenario you can kind of sustain the narrative yep, without exactly. there being constant laughs yep um well so what did you learn from the improv classes though that was useful well one thing i learned was just i learned how to take risks with just jumping in and doing something. Cause at first, when I first started, I was like, all right, I'm not gonna, I'm not even going to try this. You know, I wanted to wait for the, I've always been something that I want to wait for like the perfect joke or something. So I wouldn't say anything. Sometimes you got to go out there and fail a little bit right, and then yeah. learn from the failure. Uh, the yes. And portion of it, you know, you take somebody's scene, you just, you never negate their scene. You keep going forward with it. That's like the core rule of improv, right? Yeah. It's usually like the say? core okay. rule. That's it. It's like, don't ever, Unless you're on higher level improv, don't shit on what they said. Right. Take that, take their shit, and add your own to it, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> there, that's a the judgmental way of uh, framing analogy. it. <laughs> take their poop with you. So that's that's how it is. And uh, I learned that just get the anxiety of performing in front of a bunch of people at first. It's kind of it is it's different if you haven't ever done it. Well, but I mean, you said before to some extent prison got rid of a lot of that anxiety yeah, right so it, it was it, was it like a low level anxiety yeah it was it was nothing it was nothing so high that i wouldn't do it obviously but it was kind of weird at first uh another a thing too is it's very hard to once you're in the mindset of i'm talking in front of somebody and i'm telling jokes to have pauses of silence with no jokes and like you're saying improv there can be more of a narrative without periods of laughs stand up you got to hit it pretty quick right because if you yeah. stop hitting a joke really quick you'll lose the audience and sometimes if there's not a joke going quick, stand-ups will get just, they'll just get weird because they don't know what to do. Their joke missed and then they'll just lose it. Right. <laughs> they'll yeah. just get weird. <laughs> right. Because you, you, it's harder to hide behind that character or like, I mean, in improv, mm-hmm. at least you can pretend like you're just a weird character and stay in that role. Whereas there's that vulnerability of stand-up. Yeah. It's you. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you, and you, you can step off the side in improv too and somebody can save you. Right. You know? Well, so, I mean, was it to some extent just learning to trust yourself that in the moment you'll come up with something funny when yeah. you need to? I mean, 100% it, that it was good. It, it helped with that. So that's why I started doing all, I just started jumping into the improv shows. And, yeah. Do you think that people are naturally funny or is it yeah. learned? 100%. No, okay. Funny. So naturally you have to have something and then you can kind of hone it from there. Yeah. And it, it does. It definitely hones it. Like, I've always been naturally funny. Uh, but doing stand-up has helped me hone the essence of writing a joke, right? You want to do it shorter. You. Oh, so many people come up to you after shows and they go, dude, I have this joke for you. I've got the greatest joke for you. Yeah. And they don't understand context. They don't understand that 
you have to build a scene for somebody really quickly. They have to understand where you're coming from. So that's why if you do a joke that everybody can resonate with, it's easier. Right. But you can't tell a personal story unless you've built the scene and they know the backstory. You know, an inside joke doesn't work. And people come to you all the time and they want to tell you this, the joke they have. And it doesn't make any sense. What's the worst joke you've been pitched? My stepdad pitched me a joke the other day. It didn't make any sense. And he was trying to... It's going to make him sound bad. He was here's, here's exactly what he said to me. He goes, I got a really good joke for you. And I was like, I don't want to hear it. And my mom's like, just, will you just listen to him? He hasn't shut up about it for the last three days. Just listen to his joke, Matt. She's rolling her eyes. And I'm like, all right, I'll listen to your joke. And he goes, all right, you know your cousin, Armando? Well, okay, so he went to a gas station. He lives in Idaho. And I was like, yeah, I know. And he goes, he, he went to a gas station. And then the guy, oh, okay, at the gas station, he was like, hey, hey man, <sighs> get out of here boy you're not from around here and then he was upset and he left and i mean that'd be a uh, tell him about that joke and i was like <laughs> what and he goes ah, this is so funny <laughs> I, was like, I don't even understand what you're saying my mom had to explain it to him talking about how you know you have the the racist that because his name was armando oh, thought he was a yeah. hispanic and told him he had to, like it really happened to him so he's like trying to tell him the story i was like why is that even funny <laughs> It's yeah, so I, not I, good. I didn't figure that one out. Didn't yeah. figure it out at all. <laughs> well, see, I mean, so you had to kind of develop your own, like, what is your sense of humor, though, and, like, what type of stand-up you wanted to be. Yeah. So, like, a lot of people, it seems like they start with just do the one-liners and go through. Like, uh, having gone to open mics a few times here, it's like a lot of people just go up and it's either they have a couple one-liners. Sometimes they have even, like, their notebook or whatever. Yeah, they're just running I'll through it. Sometimes. But, I mean, like, do you gravitate to that? Do you move more into, like, storytelling? Is it a mixture? Or how do you, how do you find a voice as far as any of that goes? Um, I like telling stories. That's my favorite way to do it. The open mics, I'll do more one-liners because there's such a short amount of time. For me, open mics is a time to practice new jokes. One thing, I think about open mics, I'll see a lot of comedians, and they're good comedians, and they'll do the same jokes every week. And yeah. I ask them, they're like, well, you need to practice, you need to get that joke, you know, really tweak that joke. And I'm like, no, you don't, all right? The joke worked. You know the joke worked. You put it in your pocket and do it another time. Like, you're not going to forget your joke if you know it. It, they and I think they over they spend so much time on these little like on the nuances of some jokes and to me that's something you just get or you don't like the joke's funny or it's not funny and you know changing one word is not going to make a huge difference I right. mean write new material you got if you want to be if you're going to be a, a professional stand-up comedian you better be able to come up with new material each week I would think that you know do a special an hour of new of great new material once every like two years year to two years something like that you have to be constantly writing new material so right. yeah yeah it get, i like to tell stories but at the at the open mics i like to try new jokes right and i'll do one-liners just a part of the story and see hey okay did they respond to that now i can write build a story around it if something funny happens in my life i write it down so when did that so that started in prison you yep, said that started, right? that's where it started with me writing things the funny things down and then I've learned out here how to be a better joke writer. So at first I would only tell stories that were 100 percent true. And then I realized <laughs> that's not no, what no everybody, one cares. Anyway. Nobody gives a shit, and yeah. they can't prove it anyways. So then I so then I've I take stories of my own that there's funny parts to them, and then I have to add in things that weren't true to make the joke, you know, make a little bit better joke or throw an analogy on there, you know, a funny analogy. But yeah, I like to tell stories. I wish I had. I like when I get a 15 minute set or something like that. Right. A couple, yeah. you know, then it's it's good because I can go and roll with it. Open mics are very just 
boom, boom. Do people like it? Do people not like yeah. it? Uh, is it Backline that does four-minute open mic? I, yeah. I had trouble with that. I only did it once there, but I was like, I, I'm not, you know, I'm no great comedian by any means, but it's like I feel like I can't get to the kind of rhythms I like in four minutes. That's just too, no. too compressed. Yeah, it takes a little bit of time to get warmed up. Uh, especially most of the time for me, it takes you know it takes me four or five minutes to get get there. You got you're warmed up, the audience, then you're rolling because every not really anymore, but even just the slightest bit, your anxiety is a little bit higher when you first walk on stage. Even if it's only one percent higher, it's a hair higher. But once you go and get a couple of laughs, you're like, all right, we're all in this together. Right, let's do this. Well, so when did uh, so you did improv for how long? Um, a couple not, years? A, no, not even a couple of years. Okay, I mean, I've only done it for. I did improv for. A year and th- maybe three months. Okay, pr- and it wasn't reg. It wasn't very regularly, but I would do. I did the big canvas end of twenty seventeen. Twenty eighteen was I spent um, doing stand up shows, and I started rec- like for my first show I recorded. I'd go look at my jokes. I started doing stand up shows, and I got booked for a few shows like actual showcase shows even though i hadn't done much stand-up is that just people saw your set liked it asked yeah. you were you interested in doing this yep okay cool and then i've d- and i did a lot of but then i stopped taking classes and i did a lot of uh, shows on uh, i did improv shows and then this year i really just went 100 percent stand-up occasionally i'll do an improv show but i started doing open mics three or four days a week whereas you know last year i would do it once a month and maybe at most do the stand-up once a month the rest of the time i would do improv sure well, but so like, were you, so you were still taking the improv classes at that point? No, I was just going to open it. So they have improv jams too. Okay. Like once right. every, every other Thursday, they have like an open style jam at a back line where two people will put your name in a hat. They'll pull out two. You do a minute and a half scene. Or I did the arena show a lot Friday night, which is a 20 minute, 20 minute like mono scene you mm-hmm. do with somebody else. So that was a lot of good. I mean, that's great practice. Get a 20 minute scene in there. Well, and then like, was it something where, I mean, do they have stand up? classes you can take as well or no so i mean surely at some point you know you're like okay i feel like i know as much as i can know about improv but stand up you just kind of have to throw yourself out there and yep learn how to swim i guess exactly so what was the first time you went to an open mic the first open mic i did was at the back line and it was in 2018 i can't remember when it was but i had written some jokes i did them on there it was good enough that i did it wasn't a bomb it wasn't i mean the people laughed at and I look back at it now, and I'm like, all right, that could have been much cleaner, like written faster. But it was good enough that I was like, this is. I'm was that was it stuff that you've been working on for a while? You're like, this is improv. my best best stuff from my notebook of life experiences. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, it's okay. stuff that I'd written down because I've been thinking about going and doing the stand up, and I was like, mm, I don't know, I, improv's going pretty good. I'm doing good at improv. People right. like my improv, so Com- the, comfortable, yeah, very comfortable with the improv. So I did, it, yeah, with stuff. I went on there, did a couple of one liners, just saw how it went. Uh, I was super nervous for the stand-up, like ridiculously nervous. For so, whereas you know you're standing there looking at improv, you're looking at your partner. Right. The lights are blaring at back, like you can't see anybody in the audience. So, but I did. I got enough laughs that I was like, okay, I'm gonna come back. I felt like I don't mean to be a jerk, but it's like I know when I first did uh, stand-up uh, at an open mic night, it was like I'm really scared about like what are they all gonna think, all this, and then like you kind of go and you look at them, it's like. Uh, you know, like I, I, it's not the end of the world if these people hate me. Like I'll, I'll be okay. I'll make it. Right? Yeah. Not that they're all like bad. It's not anything like that. It's just like I don't know. Once you kind of know who you're up against, you're like, 
Oh, okay. You know. You know, sometimes you get shitty crowds. Yeah. But I mean, you get people like, are you even here for comedy? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes there's just that weird, like, I think that was performance art. I'm not even really <laughs> sure, though. Yeah. No, it, sometimes the audience gone. I'm like, did you, where, did you mean to go to church and you accidentally <laughs> came here? Like, what are you doing? You know, I've said some, I had a joke that I did. I said, say what you want about Ted Bundy, but that guy really got laid. And <laughs> he knew how to get laid. Two ladies got up and left the show. But it was a, yeah. We don't want to listen to these jokes. Where do they think they are? Yeah, exactly. They will. They'll come down there and get offended. Like, we wanted Jeff Dunham. <laughs> Open mic nights are so, like, dirty and vulgar because, I mean, it's easy to get a laugh sometimes really it's quickly really that way. It's easy to get a laugh like that. So, I don't know how you go. Like, I've, I've never seen an open mic night that was remotely clean <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not you. Especially when people get nervous, they revert to dick jokes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just normal in stand-up in general. Yep. I don't know. Like... <laughs> <laughs> like the dick jokes are fine, but don't mention Ted Bundy. Don't say anything about Ted. Leave Bundy they, out of this. They forget that it's comedy. People forget really easily that you could tell them right ahead. I'm like, listen, I don't mean anything by this joke, right? Don't mean anything. They say the joke. Like, Why would you say that? I'm like, I just told you it's a joke, and they'll get offended by it. That's, we do, that's our world. You know, we live in the offended world right now. So, did you have a, a joke that you're really proud of from that very first set that you went out there and did? Yeah, the first joke I did was, uh, and I told it kind of a story, but the joke <laughs> it. It was there's a fine line between a butt dial and a booty call, and uh, I had just written a joke about my mom texting me, and I called her back, and it was like, she was like, oh, it's just a booty call. I was like, don't fucking <laughs> say that ever again, mom. It is not a booty call. It's a butt dial. That's funny. That, that's a good because that's that's an easy joke. It's not you know it's not so crude that it would offend these old ladies or whoever. Yep. Uh, and so like, did you know? Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm happy with that one. That'll work. I knew that's a good one. Sometimes, like a joke, I know will be a good joke, uh, especially because people do like stories are great, but people want a punchline, even if it's not the greatest punchline. Something that comes out of left field just a little bit, they love it. Like, right. I have a joke about this chick that I was dating, and people keep continuously keep saying things to me about it. But she it, at seven thirty in the morning. I don't know if you've seen anybody stand on my page. I post this on my Facebook page. But at seven thirty in the morning, she comes. We're getting, we're making coffee. She'd stay the night, and she goes, mm, "Coffee's not really doing it for me anymore." And I, just, I was like, "All right, go smoke some meth." What do you want me to tell you? <laughs> but I go, "All right, try the light roast. It has the most caffeine." She goes, "No, it doesn't." And I was like, "Okay, uh, yeah, it does." She goes, uh, "Medium roast does." And I was like, all right, no, it doesn't. She goes, fucking Google it then. And I was like, all right, chill out, lady. It's 7.30 in the morning. I've got to go to work. And I was like, but I'll Google it. So I look it up. Of course, Light Rose has the most. And she threw a fit. She's like, what fucking website are you on? And I was like, Google, bitch. All right, chill out. And then I was like, and by the way, uh, medium can't have the most of anything, you idiot. All right? It's the medium. It can't have the most or the least. So how can the medium roast have the most caffeine in it? What? <laughs> That's the joke. Do you get it? So she, the, yeah, the medium right, roast. Yeah, yeah. So she was like, I was like, why would you say the medium has the most of anything? Yeah. You go get your salsa. Right. I'll have the hottest salsa. Uh, I'll take the medium, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so as you start to figure that out, I mean, like, so you, do you write out the whole jokes or the whole joke? Do you write out, like, if you're telling a story, is it the beats you're kind of doing and then maybe the punchlines or what's the process? Yeah, that's, I'll do, I'll write the I'll write even a, just a reminder of it. I'll think of the joke in my head before I'm going up there. I'll be like, all right, should I do it like this? I'll just kind of think it out. People will really annoy you before a set, you know, which, and I'm kind of, I'm an asshole, especially with like 30 minutes before going up. I'm like, all right, just fucking leave me alone. Right. And then you're like, dude, 
dude, you know what I'm doing? I'm like, just leave me alone. I'll be really nice to you after this. Just yeah. stop. You got to think. You got to keep it in I there. I got to think, keep it in there because I don't write everything out because who wants to write that much? <laughs> it's well, a lot I mean, of words. Do you think it takes away from the comedy if you have something you're reading off of as you do it? Yeah, if I do it the exact same. Yeah, I, it does take away from it. You know, I like to kind of, I like to write the punchlines of it and then I'll figure out how to get there kind of. Right. And that's, you have to trust yourself to do that though, which I think yeah. that that's inhibiting for a lot of people. Like yeah, some afraid. people are very like, okay, I'm going to follow. I'm going to do it the exact same way, and this is how it's going to be. Which that's just not how I do it. I right. like to, I like to feel around because I'll get an ex- I'll get a, a funny joke on accident out of something just getting to where I want to be on that joke. I think it's so much more fun watching as an audience member a comedian who is stumbling their way into all these funny jokes along the way. Because there's, there's like there's just I don't know if it's the vulnerability or the honesty of it. It's but the hon- it's 100 percent the honesty. I think because yeah. you're not. You can you can tell no matter how good of an actor you are, you can tell when somebody's pre written and you can tell when somebody's legitimately just thinking of that for their first time and right. talking about it. And with the like sometimes I I've, I've been like actually pissed off right before I got on stage and it it came out really well because when you're really mad and I've just something off the top of my head, just like like I'll I've not like berated, but I've berated like an audience member. Yeah. Real quickly, just made fun of him and well the guy had a Hitler mustache and we had to address it. Sure, and he's like, yeah. it's Charlie Chaplin. I'm like, no, it's not Charlie Chaplin. All right, nobody has a, f- a fucking greasy comb over and says they're Charlie Chaplin. You're clearly wearing a Hitler mustache, you know. So you think of it right then, and then you're irritated about it, and so it comes. You could, people can tell. Right, they can tell when you're honest, legitimately doing it, and they can tell when stuff's canned. There's something exhilarating about that if you're you're figuring out as you go, and it's really funny in a way that I just I don't think I've ever felt that way when I can like sometimes it's a great joke writer. Whatever they've written is great. I can still enjoy that, but. It's not as fun and it's not as thrilling as watching somebody who doesn't know necessarily what it's going to be. Dude, and uh, I can't do it as good. Like some jokes that have come from that, like that coffee joke, I killed it with that joke. And people like it and I have it recorded. And I don't even know if I've been able to tell the joke as good as the first time I did it. Because I do it yeah. a little bit different each time. Right. And it just, for some reason, the first way I did it, it worked really great. And it works okay. But I can't do it the same way. It was just off the top of my head. Landed perfectly. I was legitimately irritated with her <laughs> well yeah i mean so are you the kind of person that when you get mad people think it's funny yeah oh everybody thinks it's funny except for her the you know the object of my of my madness sure. but i try to be funny about it like you know you're arguing texting i'll say something you know i try to throw a joke in like I every see, three yeah. argument checks i'll try to throw a joke in well like if you seriously just want to be angry or mean to somebody is it still kind of funny though yeah yeah i, I think that's pretty horrible it's still kind of funny it's not yeah. like I don't know why. It's just the way you, the way you look at things, the way you see things. Right. The way you just start to describe whatever's going on or articulate your <laughs> thoughts. You're like you're, you're trained to do that in a funny way. So, so you're like, no, I'm I'm not trying. I'm trying to offend you right now. Yeah. But it's but it's laughing, getting yeah. laughs. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's for sure how it goes sometimes. So are you, I mean, you've done various sets now, yep. and are you? I mean, is there? I don't know. In Omaha, is there even the process of like putting together an hour? Is that kind of how it works here? You know, the only person that's Danny was so Danny wanted to put on a show, and he's obviously a great cinematographer and stuff like that. The only process I think for here is doing it yourself or making your way up. The good things about comedy in Omaha and talking with Dylan Rohde, who owns the backline, um, you get stage time. You get a lot of stage time, so you can practice a lot. Where in LA, you got to pay five bucks to get a minute. You oh, know? okay. And Dylan, he's talking to me the other night. He was looking for people for the Friday show, so I went did the Friday improv show. He's like, "This just blows my mind." In LA, I'd have a hundred people trying to get on this stage, and I have to turn away ninety of them, you know, because they want to get stage time here. I can't even, you know, it's hard for me to fill a show on a Friday night. Sometimes he's like, "It's just crazy that people aren't taking 
eating up all the stage time. I talked to David Tell after a show two weeks ago, and he said that get do 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 stage time. He's like, if you talk to Bill Burr, and I said, well, I don't talk to Bill Burr because I don't know him. <laughs> he laughed at that, and he's like, you just do as much stage time as you can. Right. So just, yeah, it's just good. to keep the skills and to get better. Yeah, to keep the skills, get better. Uh, people see it. Yeah, people. You yeah, exactly. You're seeing more people. You're getting used to. You're remembering. You're re saying your jokes out loud and repeating them. You get used to just little interests. What makes people laugh? What doesn't make people laugh? And you can work on new stuff, all those kind of things. It's just practice, you know, so people don't do enough of it. But for an hour-long set, I don't know if you have to do your own. Danny offered to – we were looking to get a show going this summer, his comedy show for charity, and uh, he wanted to do it at a smaller place, and I suggested the Scottish Rite Theater downtown mm -hmm. and doing a big show. There's a girl, Aubrey Sweeney. She's on tour. She just got back. She just did the Ralston Arena side room, had a picture on the big billboard. She said she would do the show. Uh, for free for the charity, you know, and he offered to film it and splice together, you know, essentially a Netflix special, if you want to call it that, and then figure out where to distribute it. But a really nicely put together set of comedy. It seems like, I mean, that's got to be, that's the product everyone ends up with at some point. And then mm -hmm. it's a way for you to get out to so many people. Like, then you don't have to travel to every single city in the world. Yeah. You know, they can watch it. So, I mean, like, is there, uh, for you, pressure to try to go outside of Omaha, though, and try to figure out how to do for that? For sure. I mean, I'd love to go outside of Omaha. It's, but I think getting the rep, like getting the practice here, practice here, practice here. But there's good things coming in. So next, this Friday, I'm doing a show down at the uh, Omaha Design Center, 1502 Cumming Street. It's a tryout show. It's called Too Funny Omaha, and it is for Mike Epps is coming to the waiting room. Oh, okay. June fourteenth to sixteenth or something. So there's seven comedians there, and it's a competition. Winner gets to hope three days hosting for Mike Epps. Who are you up against? Do you know your competition? Yeah, I know my competition. They're all really good. So it's oh no. <laughs> yeah, I got Kill Theodric, um, Kinoa Kinoa Asbury. I butchering his name. <laughs> Q. Uh, Jason Regan is one of them. Ali Kareem. So they're all good, really good comedians. So we'll see. I mean, part of it's how many people come to your shows. I bring a lot of people to my shows. So, so it works to your advantage. It works yeah. to my advantage a lot. Well, so, that, like, is, does that change, though? In a situation like that, do you change the type of jokes you're going to do? Um, Not a ton. I will change it, though, sometimes. This is a show. There's an open mic once a month at the Fraternal Order of the Eagles in Papillion. You get a long, you get a long set, fifteen twenty minutes. It's all every there's fucking ninety, right? Ninety years old. So I do, I change my jokes a little bit. What what's the joke that really lands with ninety year olds? Nothing. <laughs> they just, they don't care about anything. They're just there. Who knows why they were? Or they're just there to drink. So what? That's how a drinking place. Though? You have fifteen minutes. You said right? Well, yeah, it does. And I do a lot. Of, I'll do like a lot of crowd work stuff. Just talking to. You know, it, interacting with them. I did a joke that I mean, I opened with making fun of how they're just like a, like the shitty Knights of Columbus, <laughs> just like <laughs> the alcoholic Knights of Columbus out there. Does that work? Do they like that? Yeah, kind they of like self-deprecation element to it. They do, as that? long as you're not too mean about it. You know, you have to always turn it back on yourself some way. If you're just sitting there being a dick, there's audience will be like, all right, fuck you. <laughs> not, I don't know. I want to listen to this. I don't know if I could figure out how to make a 90 year old laugh if you gave me like a year to figure it out. Yeah, I have one joke that they laughed at where I was talking about. Uh, well, people, I have a, I do gutters like for my day during the daytime. I, I, I'm a partner with a guy in a gutter company, and when you're done with the job, you like to like put a sign in your lawn, you know. And there's some rule where you can't have the sign in the lawn. You have to have it on your that first three feet before the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to have signs 
Or no, you can't have it on the first day. You can only have it in your lawn. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Who enforces that? All right, so there's the enforcers, the neighborhood fucking watch enforcers. Like, Mom, you can't put your sign there. <laughs> it was like, all right, Betsy, just go inside and make some stew for your grandkid or whatever. You just leave. Well, who cares? Why are you doing this? There's an app called Nextdoor. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Hmm. It's people get on there. It's for your neighborhood and neighbor. And it's <laughs> it's like for your You can be part of your neighborhood and surrounding neighborhoods. I'm like, oh, OK, so it's just fucking Facebook. But it's kind of like Facebook for your own area. And people post on there. And there are the, you know, the police patrol people on there. This guy's been like, um, I just saw, they they talk like they're a cop too. The message, just saw 40, late 40s white male uh, wearing a ball cap, just went through a stop sign at a high rate of speed, license plate. I'm like, you're not calling it a murder, bitch. Why are you even saying this? So I'll get on there and, you know, I'll address it. <laughs> I say things back to him. I can't help myself. People are just... Like, what are you doing with your life? Going there, <laughs> clocking people at the stop sign? Like, do something productive. Have you never done anything illegal? Do you want me to call the cops on you every time you do something? Like I, it's, I it's can see weird. why that works with 90-year-olds, honestly. Yeah. yeah that, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a joke about neighborhood regulation. Yeah, you, you can kind of tell who, who the, who's that's geared toward. Yeah, they like the neighborhood regulation jokes. <laughs> they didn't like it when I said everybody's driver's license should be pulled when you hit 70. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's a... Not the right crowd for that. My mom's like 55. It looks like she has her chin on the wheel. She's this close (laughs) to the steering wheel. I'm going to get a fucking chin rest. Yeah, so. Well, I mean, does that change? Like, I I remember I asked Cameron this, too, uh, when I talked to him. But, like, when you go outside of Omaha, do you have to do different jokes? Are there jokes that land well with an Omaha-type crowd or even, like, a Midwest crowd versus a bigger city? I only do. I mean, I don't really have any jokes that are localized to Omaha. Um, I think most of my jokes are jokes that can be, you know, I try to make my joke as like a popular, as populist as possible. Right. I don't try to gear it towards community. I try to gear my jokes, which is weird because it's not necessarily the things that I find the funniest, but it's things that people find the funniest. One thing I learned from improv, people like, for some reason, people love when you sing, even if your joke's shitty, if you sing your shitty joke, they'll laugh at it for whatever reason. You know, maybe it's because they think you're doing, or if you like have to, an improv, if I had to like rap something on the spot and I suck at rapping, they'd crack up just because you rhyme two words together. They loved it. So I try to do jokes that I think everybody can uh, relate to in some way and that, you know, will find funny. Not as, you know, and that's, that work. it works for me. Does it bother you at all though if it's not the funniest stuff you actually, I mean, it's not the stuff that you would find the funniest if you were watching a different comedian. Yeah, it does bother me. I'm like, why are you people laughing at this? But I'll give it to, feed the vultures. You know, some things, I just don't think they're the greatest and people love it, but you gotta give at, as much as you wanna do your own fun. And at most of the jokes, 90% of them, I think they're, you know, I think it's hilarious. But at the same time, it's not, I'm not walking around all day making myself. If I see things and I think they're funny and I think, all right, everybody, I wish everybody should see this because this will make them, you know, this will make other people laugh. And then isn't that the end goal is to make everybody else laugh? It's a good feeling making everybody else laugh. Well, I mean, that's, you get into that problem of like, do you make it for me? Do you make it for them? Do you find some, you know, middle ground between the two? And I think everybody kind of goes through that. Yeah, for sure. Do you think it's just, is it like you become wealthy enough like you're you're successful enough in a financial sense that now you can just do it for you is that the goal eventually or is it just yeah. like yeah i'll just keep pandering or whatever it might be or like i don't know it's not not necessarily just pandering but it's like i'm sure you would love to just do only the funniest stuff you can think of 
Yeah. And like, do you think that's something you could do at some point or to become a successful stand-up and stay successful? Do you always have to find what they think is funny and kind of tune that to yourself? Maybe a little bit, but most of my stuff is stuff that I have laughed at and saw, okay, it's a story or something that's happened to me, obviously happened to me directly, and then I wrote the joke about it, and then maybe the tune-ups or the, some punchlines I've thrown in there are just things I go, okay, people are going to laugh at this because of how I word it. I'm not even thinking it's, I'm not laughing at it because I'm writing out like technically. Right. I'm sciencing the joke. Yeah. That's, I don't think people understand that that happens really unless they're in that kind of. Yeah, no, nobody world. does. And I didn't until, you know, comedy is a very, it is, it's like a, I thought that when I first started doing comedy, I was going to be hanging out with the funniest people I'd ever met in my life. And it's not the case. Some people are really great comedians and um, I mean, not that they're not funny like that on stage, but just on a one-on-one relationship level, like just not, uh, you know, not, I'm always doing something that I think would be funny. Like you're always performing to some extent, always performing to okay. some extent everywhere. Like I'll, and one thing I like to do and it's like, I like to do weird, like make people feel, I want to say make people feel uncomfortable, but in a funny way at like, you know, I don't know when I'm, ordering food i'll do it with a just a weird accent the whole time my friend's like why is he why are you talking like that I'm like, why are you saying i'm talking like that i don't want to talk like this why are you talking like is that? that i mean does that come from like you still want to sort of impress everybody around you you want to probably just, i'm always trying to get people to laugh yeah. you know and it's kind of like always pranking i mean you're in on it with somebody somebody's laughing even if it's just making my buddies that are there next to me laugh is the, the always high you get from it? That, is it yeah the, it feels great okay probably i'm probably just a fucking yeah. laugh addict went from uh, pain meds to <laughs> laughing went from painkillers to laughter yeah. <laughs> yeah and some guys aren't like that some people are very like they're just serious about their you know they're, they're serious with their life but they can write great jokes i feel like i don't know to some people you just you want you need that pressure to be funny or entertaining otherwise if you don't feel that pressure like it's, there's no consequence if if i'm picking up food for example it doesn't really matter if i entertain the person or if i'm charming or anything like that right yeah. so it's like if you don't feel that pressure of like i need to make the uh, the right impression here then it's just like eh, i don't have motivation for it anymore yeah you're right that's a good way to put it i totally have that like all right i'm gonna get a laugh out of this that's probably good it's good practice for you though it's too. great practice to try and do it to, I mean, I'm always trying to do it to everybody. And you've got to be more versatile because it's like a bunch of random people all day versus people who go to a comedy show. Yeah, and you, that's what you want to get as people because you're at a lot of comedy shows. It's it's regular as a comedy show. Some people just don't like comedy, which blows my mind. You know, there's like my stepdad, just serious. I'm never going to see He likes Seinfeld, which how can you not like Seinfeld? But he l- only laughs at George Costanza for some <laughs> that's reason. That's so bizarre. It's weird. <laughs> that's the only thing he finds funny, and he'll just die laughing about it. And I'm not even like the funny parts. <laughs> like what, What's his favorite Seinfeld part that you can think of? Um, I can't even think of what his favorite part. Like George well, is He loved the Soup Nazi. He, he, the, the Soup Nazi is okay funny. It's yeah. good, right? It's the funniest thing to him that's ever happened. In the history of the universe. And somebody's saying no soup for you. <laughs> he just dies. I'm like, what is right in a heart attack, man? I mean, chill out. <laughs> so like you said, you think some people are just naturally funny. What? How, how does some people end up like that where like they just don't really have that much of a funny bone in their body and some people are funny? Like, why, why is it different among people? What do you think? Just, I mean, it's the way the way you were raised and whether you had to be um I didn't live. I my biological father. I'd, I lived with him till I was five. You know, and my parents got divorced. I'd see him every once in a while, but he was just always cracking. I remember when I was like, I don't know how old he was. It was right when um, 
that movie with Jodie Foster came out, Contact. Oh, yeah, okay. So I'm like, I want to watch Contact. He goes, you're not watching Contact. You're watching Tommy Boy. I'm like, I don't want to watch, watch Contact. He's like, you're not watching this fucking Jodie Foster bullshit, okay? You're going to watch Tommy Boy. <laughs> like, I didn't want to watch it, but he made me watch it, and then I, and, you know, I liked it. Yeah. I don't know how old I was, but... Tommy Boy plays well when you're a kid, though, too. Yeah, it does. Chris Farley's just that... That kind of physical comedy, which I'll do, it's hard to do on stage a ton of, but in life, I do a lot of physical comedy, you know, just even from just basically, you know, mooning people out the window for all of Dodge Street. You, you fall over onto tables a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love fake falling. Yeah. I love fake hitting my head on something and then just kind of having a reaction on the ground for a little bit. And people are like, what? What's going on? Are you okay? And then I'll just get up. Yeah. That's one of those jokes that transcends all cultures, I think. You always it want is. to watch someone fall over, I guess. <laughs> For some reason. I don't know why we all think that's funny. Somebody slip and fall. Yeah. One time when I was in high school, my buddy Chuck, he lived on a 66 in Underwood. I you know, I woke up really early and walking past his window in the living room to go take a piss. I saw that the traffic cones were out there. And I watched somebody get out and move one of the cones so he could drive down a street that was deserted. And I was like, Okay, this is a great idea. So I grabbed all the cones and I blocked off Underwood, and I blocked off the street to turn onto. And I went and woke him up, and I was just cr- I was crying, I was laughing so hard. Everybody would just pull up, and they didn't know what to do. They were boxed. It was like a dead end road, and nobody like the first eight cars would then reverse out. Nobody would just. You could clearly see a fine road ahead of you, but it's like the rules. See the cones here. I can't drive past it because the cones here, and they just would then reverse and go find another way. Why? Finally, one guy got on just. Oh, yo. sorry. Oh, boy. We my just bad. got some beer spilled on here. Hold on. Oh, I think bad. it's okay. <laughs> it's being a physical comedy, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Uh, let me so let me I just like tried to mime a kick here, and I <laughs> kicked, kicked the, the entire table. table. Everything's still recording, though, at least. So we, we got this moment <laughs> captured. <laughs> I just kicked the table out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'll leave this in, too, because uh, the the awkwardness is kind of funny, if nothing else. I think the laptop will at least be fine. As long as your laptop's okay. Yeah, or this episode is just gone now. Idiot. That wasn't even on purpose. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the kind of... uh, We can kind of spin this as if it's just a good example, though. It's a great example of... You just went with that, and it was funny, even though it uh, was a little, you know... It it threw threw off some things, but... uh, Yeah, it did. So... (laughs) I think it's fine. I think it'll be okay. All right. Well, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so that's what happened. I, he kicked the cone out of the way like that, just like a bah. So that's another thing. When I do my comedy, I have a really, I can't stand still. Some people will stand and hold the mic, and they're just like this. And I don't know if it's because my mother's Italian. They talk with your hands. Or you can see me right here. I'm, oh, yeah. I, I'm I, flinging my hands up, and I'm pointing and moving, and I do that on stage, and I don't know if that helps people kind of what it is, but I talk with my hands a lot, and I move around, and I do a lot of stuff like that, and it's always blown my mind when people can just grab the those grab the mic and the mic stand just put it there i have a lot of trouble just standing still especially yeah. if i'm talking to people in front if i'm looking at a crowd i definitely speak with my hands the whole time i don't do it so much on the show just gonna knock over things but <laughs> kind of train myself to stop <laughs> Shit, no way. as you can tell things do fall over uh, pretty easily oh that was good yeah i do it i'm with the hand so yeah he kicked the cone out of the way and i'm like finally somebody kicked the cone out of the way like, it's almost like a little uh so- sociology experiment that you did. yeah there. it's yeah. a little it's the uh, it's a to see how people and I guess that's kind of isn't that what comedy is looking at the world just a little bit differently and yeah. trying to I think besides making people laugh the end goal for for comedy and it's just something that's the hardest thing to do and I've tried writing about it is you want to give somebody a message 
that th- it's a hard to understand message. And if you can frame it in comedy, who does the best? South Park does it the best out of everything. They try to make a point about something that we should all know, and they do it with comedy. So you can kind of they do it with an analogy, and you look at their analogy, and you go, "That's." stupid and they said exactly and that's the same as this so why are you doing this you know and that's i mean that's really what how they go you look at it and you think that's so absurd i'm laughing at it and you're like yeah that's the same as this yeah well i think your uh your traffic cone thing is it i feel like that's a that's a good analogy for your audience too where you're like most of the people i'm gonna have to you know broaden things a little bit to get all the people who won't kick the cones to laugh yeah then there's that one guy like he probably he'd, he'd get your jokes he'd, he'd have the same he would get it as you. yeah I, he thinks like you do and that's how society you know, my that's how society works i mean you don't grow if everybody if we all did the exact same thing and you know, rules change, things change because you have to, you have to find, there's always something better and something can be changed. And some, a lot of people are very stuck in the, this is how it is. And this is how it going to be. And this one I won't do. And that's it. Right. And that's not, I mean, the point of art is to let people understand that, you know, how it is ain't necessarily the right thing to do. (laughs) I think it's appropriate we've circled back to your uh, imposing an accent on your stepdad, yeah. right? It's my stepdad. We're back know. to uh, like rules. I mean, that's sort of like military you know, way of approaching things versus yeah. the subversion of comedy, right? And entertainment and all that stuff, art. Yeah, so you can just – and so you, it's a great way to explain things to people. And it's a – that's hard is to write stuff like that. You know, it's very easy to – at least I think it's easy to write a joke that's funny. It's hard for me to write a joke that's funny and has meaning. Right. And I've tried, I've tried doing just writing some stuff in there and a, you know, addressing situations and trying to come across and make a point that everybody can learn something from it, and hopefully, you know, see the world a little bit better or see the world in a way that I think mm-hmm. is a good way to see the world. But that might take a little bit of time to get there. I would mean, you say is there some kind of broad? goal with the comedy as far as meaning would go like what what kind of meaning would you like to impart on people if there is any well well, I mean one thing that I've been working on and it's kind of when I was talking about the am I good right here um how much so when you are when we were in prison one thing the crazy thing about prison is you get like one phone you have phone you have to like buy phone time so you can only make a call like make a call once a week nobody has money to pay they charge you at the ass it's like 50 cents a minute to make a phone call so you have to spend all your time talking face to face to other people so i spent from 2012 2016 in conversations like this not on my phone all the time and people spend ridiculous amounts of time on the phone and people are people are offended just to be offended you know, they don't people are addicted actually, to it almost. Yeah, they don't actually give a shit about the other people, about the people that are there. There was a study that just came out, and I hope I'm not biffing this, but they talked they they interviewed obviously they had their control and their variable. It sounds so scientific. They talked about um there was like upper crust white people and they asked them about um black people who were like poor and then white people who were poor and they cared way more. They didn't care about the white poor people. They cared about the black poor people more. But I don't even remember how it was. Whatever it was, the 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 study showed that if no matter like how they didn't, they all acted like they cared or said that they cared. But it didn't change with whatever else was going on. They're just like, oh, we care. 
you know, we care this much and that's all they care. It wasn't an actual level of like, okay, we're going to go down there and we're going to do something for them. They're just like, all right, we cared exactly this much. We're not going to give any more care of it. So it seems like it's such a, it's not an investment in actually helping people. It was, uh, okay, we're going to care because it looks good because that's what all my friends are doing. So I'm going to do that. You know, I teach yoga a few days a week and that's something where you, there's so many, um, there's so many blocks in our society of trying to block people out of everything. You know, and we want to talk about we want to actually be inclusive, but there's so much non-inclusiveness everywhere. Comedy is a very inclusive. You know, we let everybody you know, all you got to do is be funny. It doesn't matter anything else. And I'm sure a lot of other groups are like that, but all those groups aren't together. They're all their own separate groups. So well, it's, it's communal. I mean, so like you have to sort of have people around you. You can't just do it on your own. Yeah. You can't do comedy just by no. yourself. You got to have people around. And I, I mean, the message I'm trying to is just to. I mean, that's what I'd like to see. Stop being, you know, stop being so fake offended about things because things really happen. And if you're honestly offended by it, I mean, here's a huge thing that goes on is and comedians have addressed it is saying the word retard. Right. Which I've seen. I've had people who have, you know, uh, brothers or sisters who are mentally handicapped and they don't care at all. They laugh. And then there's other people who are just it's the end of the world for them. And if it's offensive and I'm hurting and I'm doing it offensively, you know, I will do my best to not say, it. but if I just, if I were to say it and I'm, you know, and they come and like, that was really offensive. Like, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend anybody by saying that word. And I'll do my best not to say it. Like I'm not trying to right. well, hurt you or hurt your feelings. There's a difference between being actually offended and intellectually understanding that maybe this is offensive. And I need to tell you that like, in the abstract, what you did was offensive as a concept, as yeah. opposed to I'm actually offended by what you said. Right. And I think there's, I mean, that intellectual dishonesty with it is something that absolutely is grating and irritating when you're yeah. offended because the concept is something you know to be offensive rather than actually that this hurt my feelings in some way or whatever it might yeah, be. That's a great way to put it. And that happens a lot is, and I was just using that as an example of just something that, you know, I've heard like that Louis C.K. that he had the stand up thing. I don't know if you heard it few months ago and the new york times was super offended by it. someone was super offended by it and i listened to it and i was expecting like something scathing and it was just a regular louis ck stand-up thing and i was laughing and i was like why is she so why are they so mad about this like i don't understand how they're so upset about it. they were mad because he had a joke about the parkland shooting survivors and but he said <laughs> he was like well it's horrible obviously that these people got shot he goes but why so the one one of the girls who got shot it was there has like two million Twitter followers and everybody was like, Well, look what she said and he's like, Why should I listen to you? You're twelve years old or something. He's like, I don't I'm not gonna listen. I'm fifty years old. All right. Why why should I have to listen to you? Why should we all be listening to you? I mean, you're fucking twelve. You don't know anything yet. You're twelve you just didn't get hit by a bullet. He's like, That's not grounds for me to listen to you, which was a pretty funny joke, and then they lost their shit over it. But They're like, he's a white supremacist. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can go too far, but at least with that, I mean, that is about something that is sensitive, and like, you can get why people don't want to joke about it, you yeah. know, like in that case, I don't know. And I, I do understand when people want to joke, and I, the way that she went, went about it, I mean, I thought it was funny, I guess. It wasn't anything that, it bothered me when I thought about it, because he has a similar joke to that about his kids. It's like, you're, you're four years old. I'm on TV. Right. I'm it, not listening to you. It's almost the same joke he does. He just changed it up. Right. And they lost their shit about it. You know, nobody wants anybody to get shot, you know, and I, I'm sure that 
Louis C.K. doesn't want kids being shot at a school. And on the second hand, why should why are we giving a why? I guess if even if her, her platform sure I'm fine. I'm sure you agreed with what she was saying. It was just the the joke about you know in this day and age, look at you have the you have the Kardashian culture. Right. Here. You got a big butt on Instagram. You got fifty thousand followers just because whatever. And why don't we you know invest more in other people? Invest more in real things that are going on. Read the newspaper instead of just you know blindly just what somebody said on Instagram so it's the truth. Right. Sure. You know, well, it, it happens a lot. So to some extent, I mean, you'd say that's sort of like the goal if there is some societal message. It's things like that. Trying to, if you're yeah. going to try to move things in a direction that's intellectually sort of where you're at, it's that sort of uh, goal ultimately. Yeah. I mean, I wish more people would think for themselves about a lot of things. A lot of people just kind yeah. of, <laughs> right. They well, said it, so I'm doing it. Well, it's that same thing. It's like actually be offended if you're going to say it's offensive, you know, just like actually have the reactions. Don't just follow the, right. you know, the herd mentality. Yeah. If you're upset about something, try to do something to change what it is and so you don't just sit there and be like oh yep that's offended right yeah. you know do something that, that tries to change it and so I guess for me action would be if I can get in comedy have a big enough platform that I can say things first of all one thing is you know jails I, be, I went to prison it's uh, it's a scam almost you know at the federal corrections institutions they are before you move from there there's these places called the CCA the something corrections of america and there are these places that are privately owned prisons in the united states that they are paid like 135 dollars a day per prisoner so it's in their best benefit to have as many fucking prisoners in there as possible right and when you have that and when you have uh, prosecutors who's who want to get promoted and they're they have to get 17 indictments a month they're going to get 17 indictments it doesn't matter what they're going to find it one way or another, and I'm not saying any of these any of these people are you know making or making stuff up. Or, you know, I'm not calling anybody out like that. But they're gonna get their, they're gonna get their 17 indictments at whatever cost. I mean, sometimes there's people in there who don't deserve to be in jail. But at the end of the day, Bob wants to get a promotion, so you're going to jail, and that's how it happens. People in America are really quick to throw everybody else out for their own personal gain. I mean, all over the place. Selfish. Right. When people get worried about what other people think, I tell them they don't care. They give a shit about what that's going on in their life. Like people will forget in five seconds what you just did. They don't give a shit if they're even listening at all as yeah. you talk to them. <laughs> right? Yeah, they don't care. They're worried about how everything's going to benefit them. Right. Even I think a lot of uh, service things like, "Hey, look at I'm helping the homeless." Ching. Yeah. Snapchat. Yeah. How many likes can I get for this? Yeah, as a, as opposed to how many people can I help? How, how many, many do you lives actually take I, out of living in the you know yeah. that have a shitty time right now? Right. Well, so like as far as your current comedy, do you have sort of those points like about prison? I mean, because I'm I'm sure that that's something that you, there's not a whole lot of comedy out there about that specifically, and that specific no. commentary is a, like a unique thing you could bring. Yeah, and so that's something that I and I haven't done a lot of stuff about prison. I told us I've told a story. I started this last week about a story about a kid in prison because you also get a lot of mentally ill people in there, like really severely mentally ill that they should be in uh, a mental institution that we don't have in America anymore as this as mental institutions. I don't know if they just started shutting them down and said it's way cheaper to throw them in a cell than to have this kid who's clearly mentally handicapped, you know, doesn't know what he's doing, throwing him in throwing him in jail in prison. And there's places here which they do a great job. Like so, the Open Door Mission they they 
they do the job what a mental institutions are supposed to be doing. You know, they take up 400 people in their beds down there. And I mean, I don't agree with the fact that they're super Jesus-y. I mean, they try to shove Jesus right down your throat, which is <laughs> let people, if people want Jesus, let them get Jesus. But they do do a good thing, though, is that there's people who should, you know, that should be in mental institutions. And they don't. And the Open Door Mission takes them in. And they help them get, to, you know, Charles Drew or the Lasting Hope downtown and stuff. And it's like, why is the, why are you people just taking these guys, throwing them in jail, dumping them? Cops dump people there all the time. They don't want to have to deal with, you know, the government doesn't want to have to deal with helping people. Right. So they dump them at places like this. And that's the better option than getting them thrown in jail. But most of those people end up getting thrown in jail because, you know, you do one little thing wrong. If they're out there, they got nowhere to live, nowhere to, they, all they have is food. Yeah, and that's it. They end up stealing something or go stealing a bottle of whiskey and they get thrown in jail and they get caught in the end of the cycle of never getting out of it. So that's something that I wish I could, you know. I don't know. There's nothing I can really do except, I think, for tell more people about right. it. Yeah. That's about the only option I have is that, you know, helping these kind of people. There's also a huge addiction rate in this country. And there's not, at least in Nebraska, there's no, like, almost no state-sponsored help for people. The problem with addiction is unless you got... 35 grand can pay for a cozy treatment you're kind of stuck you know so you wonder why these people don't get off of painkillers don't get off of coke or whatever they're doing because they can't even get the money to get themselves into a into a rehab so they end up getting thrown in jail do you think your comedy can in a way humanize some of those problems because i mean i'm sure a lot yeah. of people are just like they don't know anybody who's been through a situation like that so like i'm not going to vote for assistance because yeah, i, I totally i'm going to demonize can. them instead of actually humanize them Yep, I like to let your I like to let people get to know me first a lot of times before I tell them, you know, hey, you know, I did four years in prison. I'm a, you know, I'm a, a drug addict. I just don't do drugs anymore, but right. it's still in me. And they're like, what? No way. And I'm like, yeah, you know, because people don't they don't get judged. So then it's way, it's a lot harder for them to you know think everybody's hey just some you know piece of shit doing whatever when it's not necessarily the case. I like doing that. I I love kind of almost like just I'll. It's like they're blindsided sometimes. They're like, what do you mean? You teach yoga and you do stand-up comedy. I'm like, yeah. It doesn't change the fact that I did four years in prison. Just because you were in it doesn't mean that, you know, you don't got to come out with your face tatted up. And <laughs> right? Well, even if you did, it's, yeah. you could still be a totally cool person. You know? Yeah. It, and so, yeah, the, you're right. That's a good idea. And I haven't done a lot of jokes about it because I think I've always wanted to do them right and kind of like have them perfect because I want to make sure that the message that comes across when I do it is a good you know, hey, these people, a lot of these people don't need to be in here. Right. You know, I told a story. The kid was so, he was pretty much into it. I mean, a lot of guys, they can't even read and write and stuff in there. And what do you do in this situation? You don't want any crimes being committed, but there's so many people in there for the pettiest shit ever. Like, I mean, I can't even tell you how many people are in there for driving on a suspended license for, they've had like a 15 year suspension because it just keeps getting resuspended. It's not like they're doing anything wrong when they're driving anymore. Right. It's just, it's been suspended and they're like, Oh, I have to have a vehicle because we don't have any mass transit here. So they drive to work. They've been doing the right thing. And after 90 days of driving to work, they get pulled over and now it's suspended for two more years. And so then they end up driving and people are like, well, you know, you should just follow the rules and have somebody bring. Well, not everybody can do that. Yeah. That's a really hard lesson for people with any sort of privilege to wrap their minds around. It seems. Yeah, that people are just in jail because they drove to work, yeah. not doing anything else wrong. They just drove to work, and now they get they're getting 180 day sentences for that. Like it's bananas, right? So yeah, there's few things like that. Laws work for a lot of other things, you know. But what's our murder? Our murder. Uh, I want to say it's like 50 percent for murder solve rate here. Is it really okay? I, would, Which I don't is, know. 
you know, which is low. That's a, I mean, I don't know how it is across the country, but that, that doesn't seems, sound that good. It you doesn't know, sound a, great when the fact that everybody who, t- if, if it's a drug case, it's like a 98% conviction rate because they're just, just filling up the jails, it seems like. It's like, why don't you like get the person that's over there speed trapping everybody for going three miles over the speed limit and get on the murders? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Like, that'd be a better way to fund fun things. So, so, I mean, is this like your anger at yeah, some you of this to see that it, that it kind of drives me? Well, yeah. And, well, we talked before, even I mean, sometimes you, there's that skill of learning how to be funny and angry at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's that honesty to that that a lot of people do respond to. I think it's why people like something like The Daily Show when Jon Stewart was doing it. It was like yeah. he could channel some of his genuine anger at the system into something that was both informative and funny. And I think that does resonate with people. Is that a kind of humor you're interested in exploring? Yeah. I mean, that's that's I, that's something I like to do. I kind of try to put, you know, my take on it and say, hey, this is you're I'm angry about it. And this is why it's dumb to me. And this is why I hope you guys think that it's not dumb after I tell you this. I do. I do tell people a lot of because they just. Yeah, a lot of. And I forget sometimes that so many people don't get that kind of thing about prison. They're just like, oh, you must have you went to prison. You must have just killed somebody. I mean, so many people don't even know the difference between prison and jail. It's all the same to them. They don't understand the jail is the county jail, mm-hmm. and prison is when you go away to a place. They're like, yeah, were you in prison yesterday? I'm like, no, that was jail. <laughs> it takes a long time. You know, people sit in that county jail, which is the worst. It's way worse than prison, the county jail, because you don't get to, at least in prison, you can go out in the yard and walk around and stuff. At the county jail, you're just in your cell for most of the day, and you get a couple hours out in this little community room, so there's 100 people in a 30 by 30 square foot area and that's it right well so what shows do you have upcoming then okay so i have this friday there's that show Mm -hmm. downtown uh 1502 coming street the too funny omaha so the winner of that show gets to host for mike epps for three days of the waiting room so we should everyone listening should go vote for you (laughs) yeah so they said when you come there um it's based on audience reaction jokes and stuff that's out of a hundred point scale but also up to 20 people for everybody that comes for you. If you tell them at the door, hey, I'm here for Matt Wedlock, get a little, give me a little check mark, and up to 20, get 20 bonus points on your nice. final score. But I have that. Then I have the Clash of the Comics at the Funny Bone, May 30th at, I want to say the show starts at 7.30, but doors are at like 6.30. Winner of that gets a hosting gig at Funny Bone. And then there's a really funny show the next night, uh, the Roast Battle at Barley Street Tavern right next door to here. It's the funniest show I've seen in Omaha is this roast battle. It's two comedians, five sets of two comedians. They each get five jokes just to burn the other person. I'm going up against a guy named Ben Webb, and uh, it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> it's really funny. You each get to, you go back and forth. You just say an insult joke. He goes back, and then uh, Bill Queen and Rome Daly officiate the match. So then they pepper in their own nice. jokes while it's going. Well, so is this? Um, do you have social media stuff people should follow to try to find some of these shows or upcoming ones after that? Yeah, my so I have. I need to change my name back. I gave my friend my uh, old Instagram. It was out of wedlock, which is a great name. Yeah. And she was like running my social media, but I don't know if she's really doing it much anymore. So then I changed mine to yoga underscore comedian. Woohoo. <laughs> a little more generic. <laughs> yeah, really yeah, generic. Yeah. I might go back to out of wedlock. But yeah, that's it. It's yoga and then underscore and then comedian with an A. It's not the, you know, the old English spelling E-N-E comedian. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's Matt Wedlock on Facebook and Twitter's out of wedlock. Even though I haven't been tweeting as much as I should. 
Well, that's a weird other component is like, now I gotta, I have to do this. Now I gotta tell a joke every day. Right. Wait until somebody thinks it's great. Once again, though, probably good practice ultimately, right? Yeah. Yeah. Probably for the best. I kind of worry. Here's something that I worry about. I worry about joke theft, which I don't know if it's just paranoid, but I've heard some people just want to, like they want, you can tell there's like, I'm going to make it big. I'm going to be the funniest. And. I've heard people do sets, and it's clearly other people's jokes, like even famous comedian jokes. And a lot of people in the audience, people in the audience don't know when it's somebody else's joke. So I get worried about, like, I put these jokes out there, and then I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, my God, what if, you know. Well, like you can't what if somebody jacks a tweet. my joke? Right. Yeah, and, and something like that. And then in five years from now, they're killing it with my awesome joke about vegans and then I'm over here like, oh, that was my joke. <laughs> what do I do in that situation? So it kind of worries me about that's why I, like, I don't like love to put my jokes out there sometimes. Right. But that makes sense. Maybe it's weird because I've seen, I've just seen it firsthand, even in the small comedies and I've seen somebody do a joke and I'm like, yeah, that's Dave, Ch- wait, you just Dave Chappelle and the audience is roaring laughing. I'm like, of course it's a great joke. Dave Chappelle wrote it. I guess you just have to keep your, uh, your tweets to just like, well, that Game of Thrones sucked. Yeah. It, which it, it did. did. Yeah. <laughs> we all know it did. You can get some retweets just off that though, off the, you know, everyone agreeing with you. Yeah. You know, maybe you don't need to put the good stuff in there. Yeah, that was horrible too. It was. Yeah. Hopefully, he, I hope the books can make up for that. It's hard if that's actually where it's going. Even like, I'm sure it'll be better, but it's like, God, Bran, Bran's yeah. the king. How'd that happen? God, we, it should have been Jon Snow. Anybody like, else, honestly, yeah, would have been better. Bran the Broken. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> I think that'll be a great name for him as he unites all the kingdoms. Yeah, the Broken. The, this kid who can't even get two sentences out. It was so weird. It was such an anticlimactic ending. It was like, so sappy what were they too. Doing, yeah, I don't know. That's nothing. You know what blow, always blows my mind in movies. So I went and saw John Wick three, which is great. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. And John Wick's a badass. Have you seen the other one? I've seen the first one. I haven't seen the second one. So you, in the movies, I mean, he's, he can beat anybody. Okay, no problem kicking anybody's ass. But when you get to like the second from the last boss, you know, get up to the boss, then out of nowhere, or when he goes to fight the boss. He just loses for like the first ten minutes, you yeah. know. Just and then he remembers karate again and then beats him up. <laughs> well, it's like, he's tired, I'm sure. You know, he has to take in a punch for a hundred people, and then suddenly uh, facing off in sets of ten, suddenly one guy can beat the shit out of you. And like, oh yeah, I forgot I know karate. We got the I'm you win. Got tension. It's just tension. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so goofy, dude. <laughs> Yeah. Or when in Fast and the Furious and they used to shift like 14 times. Like, hey, they don't make a 14-speed manual, but buddy, <laughs> there's only fucking six speeds tops. It looks cool, though. It looks like, I don't know, I guess that works. That's yeah, their car. <laughs> Are you still shifting? There's no more gears left. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank I really appreciate you for this. having me. I hope this laptop's safe. I think so. I think it'll be okay. Uh, I'll figure <laughs> it out. I don't know. I'll export it really quickly, just so at least the file's out there. Yeah. Then if the laptop starts sparking... Uh, It'll be on the internet at least. Well, yeah, and you got proof of it because I said it on the radio, so I'm gonna have to pay you for it. <laughs> thanks again. Yeah, thanks. Riverside Chats is hosted by me, Tom Noblock, and I produce the show along with Ben Matukowitz through our company, Exarbing Creative. We're housed at Benson First Friday, now known as BFF in Benson. Please check out all of that. Please be sure to leave us reviews, subscribe to us, and head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash creative so you can keep this show going. We appreciate your support. We appreciate the fact that you listened this far into the episode. As I always try to say and often mess up saying, everyone thinks the interesting people are always leaving Omaha. 
here at Riverside Chats, we're out to prove those people wrong. Not the people who are leaving, the people who think that. All right, I'll, I'll try to get that one right again next week. I don't know. One, one of these days I'm going to get it. I don't know. Anyway, thank you for listening. Please subscribe and stay tuned for upcoming episodes with all the fascinating people here. They're out there, and we're bringing them to you. 